Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversation with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Pirelli Scorpion Weather Active. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. What is going on, everybody? John Middlecop, Three and Out Podcast. Uh, wild card weekend is upon us. National championship on Monday, right, also right around the corner. So just, you know, f- football heaven from Saturday day. If you live in the West Coast, that early game starts at 1.30 for us. All the way through Monday night, which actually also happens to be down the street from me at Levi Stadium. Might be going to the game. Not 100% sure yet. Waiting on my ticket hookup. Um, I know some people that know some people, but maybe not enough people. <laughs> We're about to find out how, how much pull I have. The other problem for Clemson, Alabama, is that it might rain. And if it rains, I'm West Coast soft. There's no chance John Middlecoff's attending the game if it rains. Yeah, I just went third person, but I won't be going. Uh, but but I do want to go because the game Clemson, Alabama, which I'm sure I'll talk about next week, has a chance to be all-time great. I mean, it's... Of all the games this weekend, I, I think it's the best. Obviously, it has the most on the line, just in terms... It's the national championship. It's the first round of the playoffs. But all these events, Saturday, Sunday, and even Monday night, uh, you know, are, are it's just a rare time. I the, 90, the Netflix has an unreal documentary on the 90s. And I, I was born in 84. I'm 34 years old. So the 90s played a pretty big role in my life. Uh, and it's just crazy to see, like... I was telling someone on the phone this today, like when I was growing up, it'd be like 93 or 96 or, you know, if George H. Bush or Bill Clinton talked on the television and you were at home and you were like 10 years old, you know, in 94, we stopped everything we were doing and we watched it as a family and like 80 million people watched. And in that Netflix documentary, like Seinfeld and Friends and the last episode of Cheers like, they, they used to get, like, 75 million people watching it one time an episode. I mean, now if you get, like, 5 million people to watch it one time, it's crazy. Their football is king right now by far when it comes to sporting events in this country. Because it's one of the only events, politics, uh, you name it. Like, if Donald Trump talks now... And we're a little saturated by it. Like, not everyone's... Hell, you work to avoid him talking. And this is not political. I'm not... It has nothing to do with the way I think. I just... I don't care. And I know most of you don't care either. You just... You don't want to watch... It wouldn't matter if it was Donald Trump or Barack Obama. It just... Times have changed. Like, there are no network television shows that all of us are drawn to our couch. Football, and really live, big live sporting events. I think Tiger Woods is like this. Uh, the NBA Finals can be like this. 
you know, clearly the World Cup around just the world is like this, and football is still like this. It's one of the rare things in this country that it's nowhere near what, you know, when the president was talking in the 90s, or hell, as the Netflix documentary said, like the amount of people that watched the final episode of Cheers was crazy. Well, the amount of people that will watch all these NFL football games will be 20 plus million people. And in this day and age, in 2019, with iPhones and iPads and social media and YouTube, that's a lot of people. So these next couple weeks are enormous muscle flexes for the sport of football. And I know the media loves to tell you it's dying and and CTE and no one's allowed to play. There is no sport, and it ain't even close, that people truly care about, that people gamble on, that people play DraftKings on, uh, that people, you know, isolate their time. The amount of Americans this weekend that will set aside time in their day for teams that they don't really care about, but they're gambling on, that they just want to watch, is unlike any event that we have right now in this country. Like, I know Netflix was tweeting out the amount of people that watched, what's it called, Bird Box or whatever with Sandra Bullock. I haven't watched it yet. It's not really my thing. And it was a ton of people watched. I mean, like 50 million people, the tweet I saw earlier in the week. But they didn't all watch it once. They watched it their own time. Like, if you're going to watch Texans-Colts or, you know, Eagles-Bears or Seattle-Dallas, we're all going to be watching it at the same time, in our respective couch, bar, wherever. So this is a fun week, a lot's on the line, and it's really one of the last, you know, kind of galvanizing things that a large percentage of Americans, we still get together and watch. Because you can't say that about television shows anymore, you clearly can't say that about politics. It's football, and I love football. And that's why I talk about football for a living. I'm really, really excited for this weekend. Okay, let's let's dive into some of the games because the playoffs are here. Um, my favorite game, uh, a little personal for me, but I also think I can have kind of unique insight, would be the Bears and the Eagles. Uh, the NFC, I mean the two NFC games are just better than the two AFC games, even though the Colts-Texans game is somewhat of a sleeper. But if you haven't read it, the article on Bill Simmons' site, The Ringer, about Fox purchasing the NFL uh, is very relevant when you look at these two games. Like the NFC, or excuse me, yeah, purchasing the NFL but getting the NFC is the powerhouse conference. It has all the big markets. LA, San Francisco, New York, Dallas, Philly, Washington, uh, Chicago. Uh, it's got all the big boys. And this is this is a big boy market game with an up-and-coming powerhouse brand. I mean, the Bears are one of the major, when you say the Chicago Bears, even though they've only won one Super Bowl, uh, they are, you know, arguably, I, I wouldn't quite say the Cowboys or Steelers or Packers because those teams have had a lot more recent success. But Chicago's like a top three media market. Uh, that, that franchise is a powerhouse. So it's good to see them relevant. Obviously, Philly's been a big boy forever. We're defending champs. Uh, it doesn't get much bigger. I know both the head coaches. Uh, I, I love Matt Nagy. He's been even better than I thought. Uh, just there, there was a great article on ESPN.com about he almost quit football in terms of he played in the Arena League for a long time. He was 30. The economic you know, housing crisis happened in 2008, 2009. The league folded. Uh, and when the league folded, you know, he, he couldn't go to the NFL, so he quit football. He just said, I'm going to go to business. He had a young family, and he went to work for a guy. And it turns out that the guy he went to work for gave him a shot, even though they were a home building company. The the home building company was taken on water because of the economic times. And he ended up a year later getting an opportunity to be like an intern for Andy Reid. And the guy told him, like, listen, you're crazy. You have to take this chance. It was a huge pay cut. He did it anyway. And, you know, I was there too that year, and the rest is history. And now he's the head coach. And Doug Peterson was also there. And they both talked about it this week. They're close friends. Doug Peterson tried to take Matt Nagy when he became the head coach of Philly to be his offensive coordinator. Obviously, stayed in Kansas City. He was bumped up with Andy. Uh, It worked out for both guys. And and I think when you look at these two guys, in a league that's pretty shady, uh, in a league that will backstab you in a heartbeat, and you're seeing it going on right now with all these coaching firings, and people are so quick to point the finger. Uh, I, I think, I, I know this, I know Matt better than Doug. Matt's as high character of anyone that I've ever been around. 
And people know, like, I, I have no problem. If I think a guy's a scumbag, I'll say a guy's a scumbag. Like, Ryan Grickson's just a bad person. He's just not a good human. And it's like, you don't need to hear that from me if you've read around the NFL. Like, Pat McAfee, all the people with the Colts, they crushed him. He's just not a good guy. Clearly not a good evaluator either. But, like, Matt Nagy and Doug Peterson are just high-level guys. Now, Matt hasn't had any adversity because he went 12-4. and four. He got them to the playoffs for the first time in seven years. He's like, he, he's the all-time first-year winningest coach in the history of the Chicago Bears. You know, so he's got to ride in the way. I give a lot of respect to Doug. Philly, to me, is by far the toughest media market for any team in the NFL. This year, there was a press conference like four weeks ago when Carson went down. He is the defending Super Bowl champion head coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. First Super Bowl they've ever won. He was getting, it was a war zone in that press conference. He handled it like a pro. He, even he got a little aggressive, but it's just natural. He got that, they were six and seven. They put back in folds. They get to the playoffs. So th- there was, we all know, and was I almost called him Travis. Jason Kelsey spoke about it last year at the parade when Michael Lombardi had just been crushing Doug. And it, you know what? It, it, you know what it turns out? Doug's a really good offensive play caller. He's also pretty mentally tough. And you can't just be anyone to handle Philly. Like, even some good coaches probably wouldn't hang in Philly. Uh, it, it's a good personality fit for him. He can, he's got pretty thick skin. And plus, he already had gray hair before he got the job. So the stress won't really make you gray. I, I think both these guys are a testament to just how good Andy is at evaluating coaches. You know, he, I mean, there are four other coaches, you know, or excuse me, three other guys, Nagy, Peterson, and... John Harbaugh that are Andy Reid guys. I mean, we talk all the time about Bill Belichick, who I do think is the greatest coach of all time, but it can't really be argued that his track record of developing coaches is shitty. Andy's the best in the business because he opens his doors, he communicates, he tries to help. You know, it truly is a team environment with him. And look at how he kind of nurtured, readied, and helped these guys take steps in their career. And put them in position when they got head coaching jobs, they were ready. They hit the ground running. They are prepared. Where it seems like the opposite with Belichick's guys. And again, I'm not saying Andy's better than Bill. uh, But I do think if you factor in everything, he's the best coach in the NFL that, you know, I think he'll eventually get a Super Bowl. And then we'll talk about him as a Hall of Famer. Because what he's done to the play, like Matt Nagy will tell you, like, the reason he was prepared was because of Andy Reid. Doug Peterson will tell you the same thing. But this game, uh, you know, I, I like the Bears. I actually think the Bears, if Mitch can just play under control, and that's a big question because the playoffs, I know the analytic guys in baseball will, will always tell you, an at-bat in October is the same as an at-bat in June. Well, that's false, and I got news for you. The games in, in January are just harder. The games played faster. Uh, every play means more. Every yard is a, a little more contested. Every tackle is a little bit more physical. Uh, the coaches burn the midnight oil, oil a little longer. Uh, I just think the Bears are better. I think the Bears' defense is just elite. And I think they have enough players on offense and an innovative enough coach on offense to just get Mitch going. I also think that they're kind of prepared. I'm going to like them if they win this game, which, again, I'm taking them and the points. I like them to cover the five and a half points. I actually like a little money line with the Chargers in Clemson. But I like the Bears to win this game at Soldier Field. The place is going to be nuts. Uh, and listen, I also think this is a testament and a, a compliment to what Doug Peterson has done, just getting this team to the playoffs. They had no business being there at 6-7 and seven and their starting quarterback hurt. But the culture they've built in Philly, it's just a high-level team that is not going to go away. Like, they are going to be a Super Bowl favorite next year with Carson Wentz, assuming he's healthy. So this is my favorite game that I have circled. Uh, obviously, it's just I got I know these guys. I know a lot of people in both organizations. But I think this is the best game on paper. I think it has a chance to be just the most physical game on the field. And I and I really think that the Bears have a legit shot to make a run. Okay, let's get into the other NFC game, which probably the second best game of the weekend. Saturday night, Cowboys. I guess Seattle at the Dallas Cowboys. I feel like a lot of people, social media, media people, people that talk about the NFL like Seattle in this game. I don't. I like Dallas, and I like Dallas for a couple reasons. One, I just think they're pretty good. I know their offense has sputtered a little bit lately, but once they clinch the division, 
Like, I- I'm sorry, they didn't have as much to play for the last couple weeks. Also, everyone made such a big deal uh, over, like, I guess it was like three or four weeks ago when they got blown out by Indy. They had just won two crazy emotional games. They didn't have that much to play for. I know this. They have the leading rusher in the league in Zeke Elliott. Amari Cooper has changed their passing game. Their defense is excellent. They also, sneaky now, have somewhat of a home field advantage. Like, you watch that game against Philly, and you watch that game against the Saints, that place was rocking. I don't think it did a couple years ago. But that place got a little swag to it now. It's not an easy place to play. I like Dallas to win this game probably by a touchdown plus. Last I checked, the line was like one. I think it opened at two and a half. It's already come back to earth. Uh, I like the Cowboys in this. I also like a little bit like the Bears. I think the Cowboys are going to be a really tough out. I think a lot of people, you know, don't take them as seriously. Their defensive pass rush are elite. Zeke Elliott is elite. They're just team speed on defense, elite. They also get a home game here also. Seattle, to me, is a little overvalued, though I do love the quarterback, love the coach, love their culture. But their team is somewhat of overachievers this year. That is not the case with the Cowboys. They didn't really overachieve when you look at them. You know, just look at the talent they have. They got multiple blue-chip pass rushers. They got Jalen Smith, who was a blue chipper, who got injured, and is in a blue chipper again. Leighton Van Der Esch, first rounder. Amari Cooper, went fourth in the draft, has been to multiple Pro Bowls. Like, the dude can play. Everyone hates on Jason Garrett. Like, he's won this division now a couple times. And the NFC East, I I don't even care if it's down. That is not an easy division to win. It by far has the most pressure of any division, just because the way it's covered, the way the league values it. Uh, I, I really think the Cowboys are almost undervalued at this point headed into the playoffs. I don't think it's inconceivable. Now, I wouldn't do this, but depending on where you gamble, you know, you can bet on teams to win the whole thing. If you can get them at like 25, 30 to 1, I think that's pretty good value, and I definitely like the Cowboys to win this game. Okay, let's touch on the AFC games here. Uh, actually, pretty good. Uh, we'll, we'll start with... Uh, This game is actually on Sunday, but let's start with this first. Because I I think historical significance in this game means the most. There's one player of the two AFC games that has the most on the line. To me, it's not even close. Like Andrew Luck, J.J. Watt, anyone on the Ravens, don't even sniff what this guy has on the line. That's Phillip Rivers. He lost to these guys late in the regular season, whatever. I mean, it was tough loss at home. The, the, the Chargers are one of those weird teams. They're 7-1 at, or on the road and 5-3 and three at home, uh, mainly because they play in, like, you know, a little junior high stadium. They are they're actually much more equipped to play on the road. But Phillip Rivers has to win this game. Like, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts. He played, like, absolute poop against the Ravens, you know, less than a month ago. He was awful in a game that he had just had been arguably the biggest regular season win of his career against the Chiefs, then he came out and laid an egg. Ravens' defense is excellent. I've been talking about them for a while. They are a well-put-together unit, like the poor man's version of Chicago. They don't quite have the blue-chip player. Suggs is really old. Weddle's older. But they are just a well-run operation. But Rivers has to go and win this game. Now, then if he goes to play New England or Kansas City, depending on who he plays, whatever. He doesn't have to win that. He's got to win this game. You can't go 12 and 4, have this big of a season, and really they're 12 and 4. You know, they started 0 and 4 last year and ended up winning nine games. So, what's that? They won nine of 12. So, that's nine and three. He's basically doing my math here on the fly 21 and, you know, 21 and seven these last two years. Like, it's, you know, I say it all the time in the NBA. Now, the NFL is a little different because the regular season, there is still a lot on the line. Like, so the NFL regular season matters. But unlike basketball and baseball, where I I only care what you do in the regular season, or I mean, excuse me, the postseason. Like, I don't care how many home runs you hit in a meaningless game in June. I don't care how many points you score against the Phoenix Suns when no one's paying attention on a random January night. What do you do in May and June? Like James Harden, what can you do when all the chips are on the line against the Warriors? Phillip Rivers, what can you do on the road in the playoffs? I talk about you like a Hall of Famer. Most of us talk about you like a Hall of Famer. Eventually, you got to do something for me. You know, I, I, I don't... You have overcome cheap ownership, poor coaching. So I, I give you a lot of credit. I really do. But you got to win this game. 
You, you, you have to win this game. You lose this game on the road to Lamar Jackson. I saw someone, might have been Ryan Rossillo, tweeted it out. He has, if Lamar Jackson kept this pace up for 16 games, the only player in the league that would have more rushing attempts than him was Zeke Elliott. Like, that, that is not a sustainable way to win. That should not win playoff games. This isn't 1979. Phillip Rivers should go into Baltimore, a very tough place to play. But you can't lose to Lamar Jackson. You can't. And I also think the Lamar Jackson truthers, listen, he seems like a fantastic kid. I'm rooting for him. I hope he really improves. He's not a very good passer. He's just not. As of right now, as to quote my guy Tommy Lasorda, in a big game, I'd said the limo to come pick him up. Because I want to play the guy that can't complete a pass. When it's third and eight, I know that he cannot complete a pass. Now, if it's third and two, he can run for a first down. But I, I, Phil Rivers can't lose this guy. Anthony Link, the, the Chargers cannot lose this game. And I also think the other big elephant in the room on this, and I fell for it a little bit, when the Baltimore Ravens released a statement that John Harbaugh was staying. He has not signed an extension. He has one year left on his contract. There are still rumors that he might get traded. Like, I kind of, I, I was duped. And I kind of hang my hat uh, on, on myself never getting duped, never getting fooled. I, I just know too much. But this, these guys kind of duped me. I'm like, damn, John Harbaugh's going nowhere. I, I, not so fast. I think there's a decent chance they lose this game and they trade John Harbaugh. Just a time. Just time. Ozzy's retiring. They have a new general manager. Harbaugh's ego's really huge. And also, may, maybe Harbaugh just wants a fresh start. He's been there forever. Uh, he's really more of a motivator, leader than he is some schematic guy. He doesn't know offense. He doesn't know defense. He's a special teams guy. He he's big on like samurai swords in the locker room and you know bringing mountain lions to practice to roar. I mean, he's into all that shit. And again, he's a he's a big time coach. He's a top six seven probably coach in the NFL. But in the analogy I used is, I think the Ravens have realized you know they're dating a seven and a half eight. If you break up with that seven and a half eight, you in best case scenario, you think and you hope you're going to end up with a 10. More than likely, you're going to end up with a five or six. And Bashkati, I think I said his name right, the owner is not that dumb. So, but if you're John Harbaugh, like you, you're like a player. You're like, I dare you to let me hit free agency. You know what someone would pay John Harbaugh? John Gruden. Just got $10 million. What's, what would John Harbaugh get on the open market? I mean, seriously. $15 million a year? Would he get a five-year, $15 million a year contract? So what's that? 30, 60. I mean, why couldn't he get $70 million? Just from five years. I think someone would pay him that. So he, he's no dummy. And if you're the Ravens, you know him really well. You're like, I don't really want to pay him $15 million a year. So I, I think we're looking at if Phillip Rivers does what I hope he does takes it to the Ravens and win, might be looking at the last game of John Harbaugh's career in Baltimore. That I, I've gone on this show, said it on Twitter, said it on Instagram. You can follow me at John Middlecoff. I thought it was kind of crazy, like he wasn't going to go anywhere when they released a statement. But really, you kind of read into the statement. He's not really some lock. They didn't do anything. He, yeah, he's all, nothing changed. Uh, the other Colts-Texans. One of the better... Saturday day games in recent memory. At least a day game for me. Uh, the way I look at this is, I think people are almost discounting the Texans, who have had a big-time season, who have just three or four elite players. Watson, Baller, Hopkins, arguably best receiver in the league. J.J. Watt has had a defensive player of the year level season. Clowney has really come into his own as just a full-on ass-kicker. And Honey Badger has been one of the better off-season signings. They're just, they have some elite players. Now, their offensive line's not great. I think Deshaun Watson's been sacked more times than any other quarterback. I think part of that is when you have scrambling quarterbacks, you know, they are, they're more likely to hold on to the ball, make some plays. I mean, I, not that I ever would, but if you did some like deep dive study on every one of Watson's sacks, I bet, you know, a decent percentage, maybe 20 to 30% are on him. Uh, I used to be in here in the Bay Area, watch Kaepernick. He created a lot of sacks. Russell Wilson, you watch Russell Wilson, he kind of does that too. You know, Phillip Rivers and Tom Brady, they get sacked. They also avoid a lot of sacks. They either throw it away, you know, or just get rid of the ball really quick. 
but at the end of the day, the game's in Houston. I, I think Bill O'Brien is one of those guys that everyone on the internet acts like an idiot, and all he's done is win everywhere he's been. He won and earned Brady's respect. Went to Penn State after Sandusky molested every little kid in you know Penn State, and that that whole drama happened. They basically got the death penalty, lost scholarships. He went there and won. Went eight and four with Matt McGloin. Like you're not supposed to win eight games with Matt McGloin in the Big Ten, while Sandusky this and Joe Pa just the whole scandal happened. I I, I almost think that gets underappreciated now. What seven eight years later? That was crazy. I lived in Philadelphia at the time. That was insane. That was nuts. And Billy came in there and hit people in the teeth and won games. Uh, and I know that we, in Philly, he was, before we offered Chip Kelly, he was the first guy we offered the job. He said no. And the guy's a big-time football coach. The Colts is an incredible story. Almost feels like they're a year early. Uh, clearly, they are stacked with talent. They have the, you know, arguably best quarterback 30 or under in the NFL. He is the best quarterback 30 or under in the NFL. Have a bunch of really good role players. Uh, have a couple studs. I mean, T.Y.'s a baller. Eric Ebron has become a baller. Their offensive line's really good. Darius Leonard's a baller. So they they are, I think defensively, they're overachieving a little bit. Uberflus has proven to be pretty good. I like the Texans in this game. I, I've been tweeting and saying I'm taking the Colts' money line. But the more I think about it, like, I, this is going to be a hard game for the Colts. It, it, it really is because it's hard for road teams to win games in the playoffs. I think Kevin Clark said a stat uh, with Bill Simmons that, you know, a, a road team or a, a non-one or two seed, excuse me, let me rephrase this. Since 2012, every team in the Super Bowl has not won a road game. They've either been the one or two seed and obviously just played home games. Like, it is so hard to get to the Super Bowl winning road games. So, you know, the Colts would be dangerous. I wouldn't want to mess with them. Uh, if I was Kansas City and I could choose, you know, of all the teams playing that I'd want to play because they play the lowest seed, so it would either be the Colts or the Chargers, you know, I'd probably rather play the Colts. But I think either the Colts or Chargers would be tough. But at the end of the day, uh, I, I think I think Houston just games at home. I, I think Bill O'Brien is a really good – I think he's a better coach than Frank Reich. Uh, he's, this is what is – fourth time in the playoffs in five years or is it three in five years the first two came with like Hoyer and just scrubs I mean look at what happens when he gets a quarterback he wins games he's a big time football coach and Houston actually I, I think is almost being slept on a little bit like Dallas I, I they, they are going to be tougher than people think you know these next couple weeks okay before I get into the middle cough mailbag I got I got one more thing to bring up and I've talked about this before and I was just show, I, shocked, probably the wrong word, because I, I do expect certain things uh, with the media and on Twitter and on social media. But when we just had all the information on, when Reuben Foster, who got arrested when the 49ers were playing Tampa Bay at the team hotel on the road, which I, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again, I think is unprecedented. For a player on the road in the NFL. This is not baseball or basketball. You don't stay at the hotels multiple nights. You are literally in the hotel. You show up at like 4 or 5 in the afternoon. And you, you know you leave the next the morning after breakfast to head to the stadium. You're there like 12 hours. To get arrested is crazy. But why he was arrested? Because the same girl that had made up the story the first time had showed up. He either flew her out. I don't have the details. I don't even know. I don't even care. Whether he flew her out. Whether she showed up on her own. But then he got arrested for hitting her, and she claimed he hit her in her face, even though the cops were like, well, you, nothing's wrong with your face. So, And she had made up a story before she even met Reuben Foster on another guy and admitted to it. So she's had three domestic violence stories, two with Reuben Foster and one with some other random guy, that she's admitted to lying. She hasn't admitted to lying to this one yet, but it was clear this story was the fishiest of them all. So... I, I never quite understood. And this there was an argument to be made. Like, you don't ever need to overreact unless you have tangible evidence when a player gets in trouble. Why? Because the media wants you to? It's been proven over and 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 over, and over that fans do not care. I remember when the, when the Seattle Seahawks took Frank Clark. 
He had been kicked out of Michigan uh, for an incident he had had with his girlfriend, and everyone was like, oh my God, how could the Seattle Seahawks tank Frank Clark? You know what the last couple years all they've been saying, all I see Seattle Seahawks? Oh my, do you see Frank Clark coming around the edge? Oh my God, do you see Frank Clark's explosion? Oh my God, do you see Frank Clark's power? Oh my God, are we going to franchise Frank Clark? No one cares. And same with Ruben. Like, Ruben's a baller. Ruben's really good. Uh, he's still a little raw and gets hurt a lot on the field, but he's uh, he's an elite talent. Now, the 49ers, like, I, I, I do believe in you do have to stand for something in life, no matter what you do. Like, every human, every business, every organization, every family, you name it, eventually has to stand for something. So the Niners drew a line in the sand and said, we will not stand for this. The one thing I respected about Kyle Shanahan and the Niners brass, like, they they came out the second time, they never even gave her the benefit, like, yeah, it has nothing, we don't even believe her. This was about Ruben and not trusting Ruben. You know why? Because she had lost the benefit of the doubt to be believed. You can only cry wolf so many times. She's a pathological liar. We now have evidence. So when the Redskins claimed him, everyone freaked out. Oh my God, Dan Snyder, you scumbag. The Redskins, you scumbag. And then today, when it comes out like, yeah, we're dropping the charges. This was just fake. No one says a peep. Just crickets. And I said it, yet the articles came out the moment he got arrested. How could he hit her? It's really pretty crazy. And, and it's it's reckless. It's not safe. And a lot of these media people that are just extreme left-wingers scream and bitch and moan about mass incarceration, yet they wanted Reuben Foster like basically thrown in jail. It's like, hey guys, we have a legal system. Can we let it play out here? Because it's already a pretty big red flag. Something doesn't quite add up. And the over, like, when I see a video of Kareem Hunt kicking the girl, like, yeah, he's got to go. But when I have evidence upon evidence upon evidence of this chick as a pathological liar, I, I, I still can't get over the reaction from so many people in the NFL or that cover the NFL that basically just calling Reuben Foster, Reuben Foster uh, you know, uh, a domestic violence, you know, some, someone that would hit a woman. When we have zero evidence to that. If anything, evidence pointing on the contrary that this chick is crazy. Yet I haven't seen one column or one person ever questioning this crazy female in the last 24 hours since the story broke that he's innocent. I also think, and as people have been tweeting at me, this is why I think, did the Redskins? Now, I don't trust Ruben. He has proven to not be a trustworthy individual. He does not make good decisions. He does not have much common sense. But did the Redskins just claim, uh, you know, a top five level talent that has some issues and that at any moment can make a bad decision, does not associate with the right people, but he is not, from the evidence we have, ever touched a woman. Like, that's just, those are the facts that we have in front of us. And that I would say, and this is more of an indictment on society, she's the criminal here. Now, you won't read that anywhere. You won't hear that anywhere. But society is worse off with her around, given her, you know, her ability to just tell lies about human beings that send you to jail. Like, think how crazy that is. I haven't seen one social justice warrior, you know, write a, write an article about how she deserves some time. You won't. But you know, it's it's pretty sickening, and it shows you that we got a lot of agendas here. Okay, let's get into uh, the middle cough mailbag. Before I actually just saw this uh, on my Twitter account, before I uh, uh, I get into the Middlecoff mailbag, this was the line that Reggie McKenzie reportedly told teams looking to trade for Khalil Mack. I, I think this was probably around training camp. I don't have the exact day, but you know, probably a couple weeks before they traded him, it was clear he might not show up for the first couple weeks of the season. So people started asking him, "What would it take to trade for Khalil Mack?" He responded to the teams that were asking. I quote, over my dead body. <laughs> so Reggie McKenzie went out like a champ and clearly didn't want to uh, didn't want to trade Khalil. Don't blame him, uh, but it's safe to say that uh, that Gruden won out on that one. Okay, let's let's get here to the Middlecoff mailbag. Okay, this is a good one uh, from Let's Strong. Uh, question for the pod. 
Gruden is one of the rare situations where he can focus on the long-term good on his team. Most coaches have to sacrifice the future to win now as coaches, and they can be fired in as little as a year's time. With a 10-year deal, Gruden is basically guaranteed to be here long-term. Do you think having a guy who is able to focus on the long-term could be a strategic advantage? Particularly when he has to make unpopular moves that are best for the long-term health of the organization. Khalil Mack. Here's what I'll say about that. Like Khalil Mack was 27 years old. So let's say, hypothetically, Khalil Mack stays healthy. He's got four more good years left. That would have meant that Gruden would have got a sweet year out of Khalil this year. He would have got, and to me, the in the first, I think they started one and three. To me, they easily would have been two and two, three and one if Khalil had been on the team. Because the first half, they were in some tight games early on. that uh, They just needed to play against Miami and against Denver that Khalil would have made a play. So to me, that obviously they wouldn't have been a playoff team or anything, but who knows? Could have changed the landscape of their season. I I think if if Gruden, I that's I I, I can't condone trading Khalil Mack. Uh, I've said it from the beginning. It's just one of the most asinine things ever, because in the NFL you can turn around things relatively quick. Like you, you they still would have. Let's just say they would have gone five and eleven with Khalil Mack. We still would have had Khalil Mack under contract. Use that top pick. You could still trade Amari. Let's say for a first round pick. And then all of a sudden your team is competitive and you have a stalwart on defense who's one of the best defensive players we've ever seen. And the thing is, Gruden didn't necessarily think just big picture because he traded a third-round pick for Martavius Bryant. He signed Jordy Nelson. So it could be a strategic advantage if you just went full-on hinky. Just signed practice squad players, did not sign any older guys. Like, they signed Doug Martin, you know? They, they they re-signed Reggie Nelson. They they signed just older players. Like if you just would have traded Khalil, traded Amari, not signed any old guys, I'd be like, okay, that, that 100% is a strategic advantage. Like if you just go bare bones, you trade all your sweet players. Like I get it. You're just going big picture. But I can't say that. So in theory, yes, it could become a strategic advantage. Did John Gruden use it as a strategic advantage? No, he did not. Uh, because he signed so many old guys. they I'm pretty sure they had the oldest roster in the NFL. So we'll see if it, things change with Mike Mayock. Now they have kind of a unique strategy with these next two drafts. Definitely this draft. Uh, they have four picks, you know, in the top 36 or whatever. So it's a big opportunity for them to kind of turn this thing around. Hey, John, I listen every week from the U.K., I was wondering what your thoughts were on the Colts' push to the playoffs. So this is a little old. Is this really out of the blue, or should we have expected it given the huge talent for Andrew Luck? So I think we could just re-kind of hash the question as, is it shocking that the Colts made the playoffs? Uh, the, to me, the only reason it was is because they started so slow. They started 1-5. But when you factor in that, like you said, not he's a huge, I mean, he's, one, he's a generational player. So if you get a healthy Andrew Luck for 16 games, Andrew has proven it, you will be in the mix. You will have a chance to make the playoffs. You know, now I, I think what was shocking about this year are two things. I didn't lo- I didn't like the, as anyone knows, the Quentin Nelson draft pick. But it turns out that using a draft pick on offensive linemen, maybe I should have looked at it a little different. It is a more understandable than the way I crushed it. But here's the thing. They nailed, they got a free agent flyer on Eric Ebron. He had like 14 touchdowns this year. It might have been 13, 13 or 14 touchdowns. I don't think he'd ever gotten, like his career total didn't sniff that. He was a royal bust in Detroit as a former first round pick. Then T.Y. for the most part was healthy and had a good season. They also, Darius Leonard, the guy they got in the second round, I, I kept saying like, why didn't the Colts Take Roquan Smith. He's the modern-day linebacker, clearly with the Chicago. He's a badass, kicking ass, taking names. Well, they basically got Roquan Smith, a guy that I didn't really know that much about, Darius Leonard, who's been phenomenal. And then they also, you know, responded pretty well when Josh McDaniels backed out on him. So if I took a step back and just said Luck was going to be healthy for 16 games, remember, he didn't throw a ball in OTAs. I... I don't really remember during training camp, but I think it took a while for him. He definitely didn't play in the first couple preseason games. 
So it was like, is he even healthy? And then he started slow. Their whole team did. But now looking back, I think they overachieved a little bit, but they also underachieved a little bit at the beginning. Uh, If Andrew Luck stays healthy, this is a playoff team every year. You know, Ryan Grigson, who tried to submarine and ruin this team, uh, Chris Ballard has saved it. And it looks like they got a coach. Okay, uh, keep grinding, guys. That's not a Middlecoff Mailbag podcast. This is a long-ass question. See if I can kind of fly through it. In my ideal world, the college football playoff has eight teams, and the season runs as follows. Okay, we'll just we'll tell a story here. See if uh, our Ed Acliff is the is the Instagram. Each Power Five team plays eight conference games and four non-conference games, but they must play four other Power Five opponents. One team from each conference if they want to be considered for the playoffs. I like where you're going here. Shit. Seeing as everybody wants to make the playoffs, this leads to many more non-conference big games that lead to more competition and sustainable profit for the NCAA, as well as TV deals being restructured to benefit every television network. I think they need certain tangible requirements. I I agree here. You know, I I agree here. Some uniformed standards. Uh, Otherwise, we're going to have dog shit teams like Notre Dame in the playoffs who ride the early win and an easy schedule. I agree. Diversification of each team's schedule will make it more uniform throughout. Makes the committee's job much easier. I'm not going to be an idiot to say that Alabama hasn't looked like the best team in the country week in and week out, but they hardly play anyone. Yeah, true. The SEC is top-heavy. I, I think the SEC is pretty good. Florida got lucky. Okay, he's kind of breaking it down. Uh, either get in or absolutely get hosed. You cry, and then something about UCF. Okay, UCF effect where these guys need to go undefeated against a bunch of cupcakes and then either get in. Okay, I, I, I like that. I, I do think they need to get some unified, uh, just some standardized, you know, basic uniform of schedule. Like every Power 5 team, I, I, I wouldn't say you have to play four other Power Five. I would go like this. You got every conference goes eight conference games. Eight or nine, whatever the number is. Let's just pick eight for argument's sake. So then you have four other games. I would say you mandate three of them be out of conference. Like you can go, I, I, I'm sorry, some te- you, when I say cupcake, like you can go a non-Power Five. So even if you're like, you know, let's say Washington State, Okay, you got to play Michigan State, you got to play Mississippi State, and you got to play Miami. Well, your third game can be a quote-unquote cupcake, but it's got to be a non. It's got to be a Division One team, not one double A. You don't get to play, you know, Cal Poly. You don't get to play North Dakota State, even though I mean North Dakota State's pretty good. But you get my point. Like you got to play Nevada, or you got to play Fresno State, or you got to play UCF, or you got to play whoever. So I, I, I like that. And the problem is, is the SEC has so much pull and they view their conference so highly, which I do agree with, but I'm with you. They do get some cupcakes, even though this year it's pretty clear. Like Kentucky was loaded and I watched him play Penn State. I think Brock Hewitt was calling the game. He had a good point. He's like, don't be shocked. You know, the first three days of the draft or the first, you know, three rounds of the draft, you're going to hear Kentucky names. You're going to be like, damn, five guys from Kentucky got drafted in the top 100? Yeah, they're good for a reason. They had a bunch of NFL guys. Florida's on the come. Georgia's a power. Bama's a power. LSU's loaded. You know, Mississippi State are, aren't scrubs. So the conference, Tennessee stinks, but like Tennessee played on a random game like against Arizona or Texas Tech, they'd kill them. So I, I'm with you. I, I like where your head's at. I think they need to go there somehow and get to the point where we're not, we don't have all this ambiguity, you know, like these arbitrary, it feels like every year it's a different standard. Well, the schedule looked good at the beginning of the year, but by the end of the year, all these teams sucks. Or, you know, this year the conference really sucked. Because I do think for all the stats we use, it does have to matter when you play each other. Like if it came down to two one-win teams, Michigan couldn't have got in over Notre Dame. They beat them straight up. Same with, like, Georgia and LSU. Like, if you play straight up, it has to matter. Like, that's why you play the game. But if you don't play, I'm a big believer, like, the eye test does matter. It was clear Alabama was unreal. It's obvious Clemson is absolutely stacked. 
it was clear Oklahoma's offense was incredible, but their defense, my, my mom could tell you they sucked, you know? You, you didn't need Bill Parcells to walk through the door to break down their schematics. You know, and my argument always was for Ohio State, the Purdue loss was terrible, and I do believe in, like, the games matter, but I watched what they did to Michigan. Michigan was the number one defense. Jim Harbaugh, who's won a ton of games, had that team rolling. And Ohio State beat the living poop out of it. I mean, it was, it's one of the all-time massacres I ever remember in a big game. Like, where two teams were supposed to be at least semi-equals. It was a, ma- it was a bloodbath. When I think about this season, I, I, even depending, unless the national championship is just like historically great, Ohio State-Michigan might be the first game I thought about because I thought Michigan had a legit chance. It, it was a body bag game for Ohio State. I mean, it, it, it was crazy. They were killing Michigan. It felt like they was JV versus varsity. So, like, at the end of the year, th- here's what you know right now. Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, even LSU, like, those four or five T and Ohio State, like, just have more NFL players than everyone else. So even if they win, if, they, if they're if they a one-loss team, like, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt over an undefeated Notre Dame, over an undefeated Pac-12. I love the Pac-12. I wish they were better, but I watch them. They don't have a lot of NFL guys right now. You know, most of these teams, like, you go to Ohio State, they got seven NFL starters who are going to be in the NFL next year, not counting all the underclassmen that'll be back and then be in the NFL in a year. Like, I watch Washington. Like, how many NFL guys do they have on their team? Five total, you know? It's just, I, I watch Washington State. How many how many pros do they have? Hell, I watch SC, and they don't have as many. Cal, in, in their heyday with Jeff Tedford, they'd roll out teams like Alex Mack, Marshawn Lynch, Deshaun Jackson. Like, that was their offense. Who do you have on your offense? I don't know, Deshaun Jackson, Marshawn Lynch, and my center's Alex Mack. Yeah, you're going to be pretty good. I mean, we all know the defenses Pete Carroll used to roll out. That's basically what these teams are. If you think back a couple years when Ohio State upset Alabama, it felt really big upset at the time. And then we look back, we're like, damn. They had Bosa, Zeke, Lattimore, Conley, Bell, uh, Darren Lee. I think was Ryan Shazier on that team. Uh, Taylor uh, Decker. They, they just had so many dudes. You know, the center, they got drafted by Cincinnati this year. They, they were just stacked. I mean, they were incredible. That, that team was, it was basically like an NFL roster. No wonder they upset Alabama. It turns out that wasn't really an upset. <laughs> Ohio State was really that good. But I'm with you. I, I want some uniform standards. I, I, I just think that college football, like the pros, it's a little more like a private sector business. They have committees that they put major owners on, and decisions happen relatively quick. Now, they vote on stuff. There still is a quote-unquote committee, but these guys are all business leaders, so they think pretty quick. In college football, it's a little more like, truly like politics. Things happen so slow. No one ever wants to upset the apple card. Like, it's hard to get things changed. Remember how long it took to get a 14 playoff? I'm 34 years old. It feels like it took 20-plus years of like us talking about it. You know, and then really talking about it probably in the mid 2000s, it took another 10. That's how it, like, things happen in the NFL. It's like, oh, we want uh, the rule change for targeting. Boom, it's implemented the next year. Oh, we want an extra team in the playoffs. Oh, we want a Thursday night game. They adapt so fast. College is a little slower, mainly because you have a lot of administrators that don't really have anything to do with anything that don't want their, uh, their hand to be pulled out of the cookie jar, you know. Uh, so I, I like where your head's at, and I think definitely something will uh, will probably happen eventually. But it's it's like gambling, you know, in some of these states, especially my state in California. It just takes time. It, it does not happen overnight. So I appreciate everyone listening. Uh, thanks for everything. Thanks for just keep on listening. Enjoy the playoffs. Uh, I, I plan is to be be out next Tuesday. I think I'm going to be at the national championship game. If I don't, we'll see. Uh, follow me on Instagram at John Middlecoff follow me on Twitter same thing always you can slide up in those DMs and I'll answer your questions right here on the Middlecoff mailbag may the peace be with you Godspeed adios
Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.